welcome to the Unleashing Sister Saints podcast with Susan Madsen. For those who don't know me, I'm a women's leadership author, scholar, and professor, and I often speak in church settings, doing firesides, and I do some research from time to time on women in the church. But mostly I spend my time leading the Utah Women in Leadership Project and strengthening the impact of Utah girls and women and helping more women in Utah thrive. I started this discussion in the last episode titled Sexist Comments at Church, Part 1, and I'll finish it up today. I wanted to share some of the research my team and I did in the state of Utah as we gathered sexist comments from nearly 1,000 women with 119 comments made in Latter-day Saints settings. Overall, the goal of the study was to educate the public on the many forms of conscious and unconscious sexist comments made by individuals, both men and women, mostly men, but some women and to equip women with effective responses that could reduce sexism in all settings. Now, as I said the last time, six primary themes emerged from our analysis, and in the last episode, I shared examples about the first three, and in this episode, I'll share the remaining ones. Now, before I do that, though, in the last episode, I defined sexism, and sexism in the literature has two forms. And one is called hostile sexism, and that's what I defined last time, but I ran out of time to share the definition and examples of the second one, which is called benevolent sexism. So benevolent sexism is more subtle and often comes from individuals thinking that they have the best of intentions. However, it includes, quote, subjectively positive attitudes of gender that can actually be damaging to individuals, particularly women, and to gender equality more generally. Most of the time, the language or actions are subtle, conscious, and habitual, end of quote. Now, with this type of sexism, there's an underlying assumption that women's inherent differences dictate that they should be limited to certain roles and tasks and need assistance or protection. For example, failing to give women specific assignments in any setting, workplace, community boards, church assignments, because it might be, quote, too stressful or interfere with her family commitments is a common situation, particularly in the church, and that is a piece of benevolent sexism. Now, another one would be when people focus even positively on a woman's appearance. While this may be intentioned, it can undermine a woman's feeling of being taken seriously. Now, benevolent sexism also takes the form of putting women on a pedestal. In church, we see that often. My angel mother or women being seen as the paragons of virtue or spirituality. When women are idealized, it can feel both condescending and paralyzing at the same time. There is a sense that women are being pacified, but the hopeless feeling that comes from knowing it is impossible to live up to the perfect ideal. Finally, when people acknowledge women only when they fit the norms, like they're nurturing or compassionate, intuitive, empathetic, Even when they have a lot of other positive qualities that are even more valued in public settings, like they're results-oriented or strategic, assertive, or professional, this is also a form of benevolent sexism. So the bottom line is that even though benevolent sexism can appear on the surface to be positive, it can still undermine and hurt individuals. Now, although many Latter-day Saint women experience sexism within the church in various forms, I will say again and again, the doctrines taught do not condone such actions or occurrences. For example, common church teachings include becoming less judgmental and increasing love, charity, respect for all. 
Further, for years, leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have emphasized the importance of men and women working together. Latter-day Saints are taught that, quote, men and women have different but equally valued roles. Now, in his book, Counsel with the Councils, Elder M. Russell Ballard stated, It is only when both perspectives come together that the picture is balanced and complete. Men and women are equally valued in the ongoing work of the gospel kingdom. End of quote. And yet, despite statements from church leadership reinforcing women's valued status within the church, sexist comments and attitudes persist in church settings. As author Nylan McBain stated in her book, Women at Church, women in the church today can feel a tension between what they are being taught at church or how they're being engaged at church and what they feel is true evaluation of their potential and worth. Sexism is a cultural construct. Now, okay, let's jump into the last three themes. So theme four is titled Undervaluing Women's Contribution. Now, in our research, 24 women, again, 119 comments. So 24 women shared experiences that undervalued women's contributions. When one respondent's family couldn't agree on a decision, she reports her then-husband stating, you don't have a vision like I do, so you can't make that decision. You need to accept my role as patriarch in making the final decisions. During a stake young woman meeting, a member of one of the bishoprics was asked to speak to about 150 teen girls ages 12 to 18. The survey participants stated this. He meant well and wanted to say that they were special and had great potential and all of that. But what he ended up using as his example was the way that boys always play basketball better when girls are watching them. His message to these girls was that their greatest strength was their ability to make men better at whatever they are doing. Oh my. Although the biases demonstrated here are likely unconscious and presumably not malicious, Comments like these undermine the ability for women to feel as if they are valued, contributing, and equal members of their congregations or even their families in some cases. Okay, the fifth theme we titled Sexualization and Objectification. Now, 19 women shared examples which the focus was placed on women's bodies, especially as sexual objects, many of the comments focused on the need for women and girls to dress modestly. One participant was told during a Temple Recommend interview that, quote, garments and modesty are more important for women. Now, in a presentation to young women, a speaker stated, sometimes if you wear clothes that are too revealing, men might assault you and lose control of themselves. Modesty is protection. These comments put both the responsibility and the blame on the women for the thoughts and actions of men. Ironically, in a supposed effort to promote chastity, comments like this actually contribute to the sexualization of women. Now, aside from modesty, women recounted other forms of objectification. One woman shared, our bishop said over the pulpit that his pretty wife was a reward for him being a good missionary. So the young men in the ward needed to be good missionaries. Another respondent shared that after the girls she taught in primary were sad that they couldn't participate in a father's and son's campout, she asked the bishop of the ward if they could do a family campout instead. The bishop responded that women's bodies are too demanding. If they allow women and girls to come, the ward 
would have to find camping facilities with toilets, which would cost more and be a hassle, end of quote. Overall, comments in the sexualization objectification theme revealed a larger tendency for women to be viewed or treated as objects more than human beings. So the last theme, number six, that emerged from our analysis was titled, we titled it, Priesthood. Now, according to the church handbook, church leaders and members use conferred or delegated priesthood authority to bless the lives of others. This authority can be used only in righteousness. Those who exercise priesthood authority do not force their will on others. They do not use it for selfish purposes, end of quote. Now, despite this clear direction, 10 comments showed priesthood authority being used to convey gender inequality. One respondent shared that while serving as a sister missionary, multiple zone leaders would tell us that we couldn't train because we were women. We couldn't receive revelation because we were women and we didn't have the authority because we were women. Another participant shared, I grew up in the church all over the country, but since moving to Utah, I get a lot of my ideas for word activities shut down based on priesthood authority. When I ask why I have to make a change to my activities, I get told that men have the priesthood and we should accept their decisions. Women in their study expressed frustration that priesthood authority was used as justification by men in order to diminish or demean women. So overall, in examining the sexist comments made in religious contexts, it's interesting to note that while some comments were clearly hostile, many of them seemed pretty harmless or even appropriate to the speaker. Comments related to stereotypes, women's roles, or priesthood authority could feel justified based on a commonly held doctrinal or cultural belief. And condescending or objectifying statements could be the result of false or misdirected efforts to protect women. Yet regardless of the commenter's intentions, the sexist comments reported in this study made women feel frustrated, misunderstood, lesser than, and even ostracized in their congregations and relationships. Now, if you're interested in reading our five reports on this, you can go to utwomen.org and click under research and then briefs, and you'll be able to find them there. Again, the goal of this study was to educate readers on the various ways that language and related behaviors can demean and disempower women, particularly as members of the church and as we interact with each other in various contexts. By raising awareness of the widespread occurrence and damaging effects of sexist language, comments, beliefs, and behaviors, I think we can reduce the frequency of sexism in the church and in our interactions with each other. Sexism is not doctrinally supported within the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet sexist comments and behaviors are common in many of our congregations. I believe that there is clearly a need to identify, discuss, and root out these damaging practices that harm church members and generally prevent us from becoming a united community in Zion. Now, I know that some of these comments may seem harmless, but I truly believe, again, that some of the struggles that we have as women in the church are from seemingly harmless comments that just somehow don't feel right or make us feel that we're less than. I try not to get offended, as that doesn't really help anybody. I just try more and more to step forward to educate people more and more with a good, helpful spirit and with love. I think that approach helps 
bring people along. But sitting in silence isn't helpful either. I have to say that. I've done that in various settings, and that's not helpful either. I think most men in the church are really great people, and they don't want to be disrespectful to others, but often they don't have any clue. And I would say the same for women as well. Sometimes women say things to other women that are sexist and often don't have a clue. Some do, I have to say, but some don't. So I just think the more that we can educate, the better in a really helpful, positive way and with love. So if this topic interests you and you want to share your own examples that I can use in another episode, email me at unleashingsistersaints at gmail.com. Also, if you want me to talk about any specific topics or answer any questions, please let me know. Again, unleashingsistersaints at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unleashing Sister Saints. This is Susan Madsen, and I'm devoted to unleashing the positive impact of Sister Saints on the world. Mm -hmm.